Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Lindsay, and it is great to see you this morning. Um, whether you normally worship with us in the traditional service or in the modern service, if you are one of the kids who are joining us today, or whether you are here on a podcast or online, we are so glad to be all together worshiping in this one worship service um, together, and I'm really happy to be here with you today. So today is four days post-Christmas. Um, in our family, these are what we call the in-between days, the days where Christmas has passed and New Year's is coming, and you kind of don't even know what day it is. Um, I think every day since Christmas, someone in our family has said, what day of the week is it? And that was actually me last night. We were out to dinner, and we were sitting, and I was eating a hamburger, and I said, wait, what day of the week is it? And my husband, Ryan, was like, it's Saturday night. It might be important for you to remember this detail, right? Like, you need to know that Sunday is coming and tomorrow is coming. And so here we are, and we've all managed to be here together. This is a different time of um, the morning than we usually even gather together. And we are all here together. And there are dozens of places that we could be right now. This is one of the weeks that we talk about being like, hey, this would almost be an easy week to not come, right? And some of you are nodding and saying, yeah, that's what I was trying to tell them. You know, we didn't have to come. No, but like really, there are so many other places that we could actually be this morning, and yet here we are. And I was thinking about that and thinking, why is it that we gather together on this day, celebrating in this room, worshiping in this room, whether we're happy or we're sad, or we're celebrating or we're grieving, we have gathered here today. And the thing that I kept coming back to was this word hope. And just thinking that for most of us, perhaps all of us, the thing that gathers us together this morning is hope. Either we have some hope and we want to share it, or maybe we need a little hope, or maybe we're hoping that somebody will think well of us. Maybe that pretty girl will notice us if we show up, right? It comes down to hope driving many of us being here this morning. One of my um, friends who is a pastor does a live nativity at their church. And I was talking with my friend about their nativity, and um, my friend was telling me that there's this one family that shows up to participate in their live nativity every year. And this family comes, and they gather, and they dress, and they, they, they know the story of the nativity of Mary and of Joseph and of baby Jesus. And they tell the story, and they act out the story. And my friend told me that this family, despite coming every year and participating seems to live out their days as if they don't actually have any hope. And I can't stop thinking about that. I have thought about that every day since my friend told me that. And I was thinking about us as we are gathered here today and thinking about the reality that we can know the story of Jesus and we can recite the story. We could even tell the story or dress up and live it out and somehow not understand what hope really means. And so the question that I have been reflecting on and that I want us to reflect on together this morning is what does it really mean for Jesus to be our hope? What does that really mean for us today? Whatever we're feeling, whatever we have, has gotten us to this day here gathered together, what does it really mean for Jesus to be our hope? And so today what I want to do is I want to share just one verse with you. I have this one truth, this one gift that I want to give to you this morning, this one verse that I want us to reflect on and think about together and maybe get some handles to grab hold of it as we leave here today. And this is the verse. It comes from Romans chapter 15, verse 13. 
And it says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So I want to start and just give you a little bit of background for this verse. This comes from a letter that Paul wrote to a group of Christians living in Rome. Paul was a man living in the first century um, who taught about Jesus, who planted churches, and who wrote a lot of letters to um, churches and Christians explaining things about God. And this was one of the letters that he wrote. And um, he was writing to this group of Christians in Rome who, like all the people living during the time of the New Testament, um, or that we read about in the New Testament anyway, were living under the Roman Empire. And um, this particular group were having some difficulties. And they were really struggling with living together and living out their faith together. They had a lot of disagreements about how that should look, about which rituals and customs were important for them to hold on to as they were worshiping. They disagreed about how they ought to interact with the government. And so Paul is writing this letter, and he's explaining a lot of things about God. And he's talking to them about how they could live together, and how they could bear with one another um, and encourage each other. And then he does something that I thought was a little bit surprising and rather Christmassy. Um, Paul quoted Isaiah. And the reason it feels Christmassy to me is that the part of Isaiah that he was quoting was some of the verses that we often quote in the weeks that lead up to Christmas. If you've come to any of our worship services over the last number of weeks, um, we have been reading a lot from Isaiah. It was actually in the bumper video when, um, when we were starting off the sermon today. And so Paul is quoting from Isaiah, and he says um, that the root of Jesse will come, and that this root of Jesse, who is the Messiah, has come, that is Jesus, to bring hope hope to all of them. So right after he had been talking about all this stuff and how they ought to live together, he kind of pauses and he reminds them and reorients them to who Jesus is and the reality that they have hope in him. So he's drawing their attention to hope. And he prays this benediction over them and says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So Paul wants them to abound in hope. So, so what, what is hope, really? We talk about hope a lot conversationally. Hope really is a desire for something good to happen in the future. Right? When we are talking about hope, it's something we want. It's something we long for. It's a desire that something good will happen in the future. Right? I hope it doesn't rain. I hope Bob doesn't need that surgery. I hope I find $20 in my pocket when I do my laundry, right? It's hoping something good will happen in the future. And when we talk about hope, generally, we actually are talking about things that we may not have any confidence will actually happen, right? I hope that my team will win today. Right? It doesn't mean they have to be statistically favored to win a ball game. We just hope that our team will win, whether or not it's likely that it will happen. Right? We're worshiping in a movie theater today. Right? Maybe you came today and you thought, I hope I meet a movie star at church today. Right? Like it's not super likely. This is wishful thinking, but this is the language that we use when we talk about hope. Well, biblical hope is actually the opposite of that. 
when I was looking up stuff in these biblical encyclopedias and commentaries, the writers, uh, or they were all commenting on how the writers in Scripture all talk about hope in a way that is different than we ordinarily use the word hope in our vernacular common way of talking about it. Because in the Bible, whenever you come across the word hope, it's talking about something that is sure. Biblical hope is a confident expectation of something good in the future. So you're not just wishing that something would happen that isn't likely to happen. Biblical hope, it's a confident expectation that something really good is going to happen. It's certain. There's an overlap in hope and faith in the Bible when they talk about each other. Faith tends to be a bit more broad of a term because faith is used for present stuff and past stuff. Hope is distinctly future-oriented. But when they're talking about the future in the Bible and they're talking about hope, hope and faith are used in changeably. It is a confidence and a certainty that God is at work, and he is continuing to work out the stuff that he has started. He is not finished yet, and he is involving us in his plan for the future. So there is a confidence and a certainty surrounding hope. Okay, so when Paul wrote this, and he is praying that the God of hope would fill them with joy and peace, and that the Holy Spirit would cause them to abound in hope, that's what he's talking about, something that is confident, something that is sure. And so as we think about this verse, there are really three things that I want us to take away today and that I want you and me to remember when we think about hope. And the first thing is this, hope is available for everyone. Hope in Jesus is available for everyone. Now, I think that sometimes those of us who are in church or who have been in church for a long time, who know the story, especially the Christmas story of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, think of this as our story. Um, I know that this has been true for me. A number of years ago, I like to distance myself from this story, but it is a true story. Um, I was shopping in a drugstore, and I was walking up and down the aisles of the drugstore, and a Christmas song started playing. And I remember that as I was walking up and down the aisles listening to this song, it wasn't just a jingly song. It, it was like a worshipful song. And I started getting really angry. I was really upset that they were playing this song in a drugstore because I thought, this is so irreverent. And it just came across to me as like, who are they to play this Christmas song? This isn't their story. This isn't their song. They haven't earned the right to play this. Like it just felt unholy for people to be shopping for shampoo and listening to this song. I'm like, this is our church song. This isn't your store song. And so I started getting really upset about it. And actually, I think that's not quite the right way to think about it because hope is available for everyone. And I was thinking that it was my job to decide what was reverent and what was irreverent, that I was the one who got to decide what was holy and who got to sing what songs or say what things and what was included and what was excluded. When we read the story about Jesus' birth, um, we can read that in Matthew and in Luke we can realize that this story of Jesus coming is not just for religious people. This is not just for the church people. And this is not just for people who have their act together. 
Okay, in fact, sometimes I think that we get so used to our nativity scenes, right? We all unpack them and put them up and we have the holy family and then we get so used to who else is there that it isn't shocking to us anymore. But actually, right alongside Mary and Joseph and Jesus, right, who we like to call the holy family, they're not just any family, right? Oh, there they are. And then right along with them are these unclean shepherds and these pagan magi right? These, these wise men. And this would have been shocking to people in the first century, it would have been shocking to the early church, and in some ways should be shocking to us now. Because the shepherds, because of the work that they did, were almost always unclean in terms of religious um, like customs and rituals. And so at the time to worship in the temple, in order to have access to any of the holy things, you had to be clean. And shepherds, because they worked with manure and with blood and with birthing calves, they were almost always ceremonially unclean. And so they were not able to go in and to worship God. And, and they often were considered other. They were treated as outsiders because of the work that they did and what they were doing. And it was the shepherds who were out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night, right? And an angel actually showed up to them and invited them, these unclean, unholy shepherds, to come and to be among the first to worship Jesus. And then we have these pagan magi. These were were wise men who were not Israelites. These were people who studied the stars. They didn't grow up studying the patriarchs. They didn't know about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They didn't know the prophecies about Jesus. These were people who were outsiders. And they were the ones, the first ones that Matthew lists as coming to worship Jesus. They were the first ones to give their wealth and their honor and their time and to bow down. We had these pagans and these unclean shepherds right along alongside there because this hope is not just for a few this is for everyone right hope is for all this hope of Jesus is offered to everyone so no matter who you are I don't know how you have arrived here this morning or how you understand your story but I want to tell you there is an invitation for this story to be all of our story there is no one who is outside of this story who would have imagined the shepherds and the magi Who would have imagined you and me being invited to come and worship? Jesus was not born into a palace. He was not wrapped up in cloths and laid down on a throne that is a place to intimidate and threaten. Jesus was wrapped up and laid in a feeding trough that was poor and it was humble and it was low and it was unlikely. Who would have ever imagined? You cannot be too low. You cannot be too broken. You cannot be too unholy or too far away. You are not more dirty or more unlikely than the shepherds and the magi. And every one of us is offered this hope. This hope is for everyone. Love has come and we are saved. Hallelujah. And this is for every one of us. This is the best news and the best gift that every one of us has ever received. And this news is for all of us. So that is the first thing that I want all of us to remember about hope. This hope is for all of us. The second thing that I want us to remember about hope is this. You do not have to pretend to hope. I want to say that again, and I want to say it clearly so that you know you do not have to pretend to feel hopeful. 
There are times in our lives where we feel overwhelmed and we feel exhausted and we feel confused. And sometimes because Jesus has come, hallelujah, but because in the church we know that hope has arrived, we have an expectation that everyone will feel hopeful or feel triumphant. And we set this expectation that that's how everyone wants to walk around. And I just want to tell you today that it is not unfaithful for you to give your sadness space to breathe. And it is not unfaithful for you to ask out loud the questions that you might have and that you are holding on to concerning your faith. Our confidence in the hope of the gospel is not what makes it true. And so you can come and bring the fullness of what you're feeling and who you are, and that is not unfaithful. One of the stories that we tell at Christmas times comes from the Gospel of Luke, and this is the story of Mary and um, Elizabeth together. So after Mary has the angel visit her and tell her that she is the one who's going to be present or pregnant with Jesus, she finds out that her relative, Elizabeth, who is older in years and beyond the normal age of being pregnant, is also pregnant. And so there's this story where Mary goes to meet with Elizabeth. And when she arrives, rather famously, the baby that Elizabeth is carrying leapt in his mother's womb. Okay, she was pregnant with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist recognized Jesus and who he was before he was even born. He would go on in his life and his ministry to prepare the way for Jesus. This is what he spent his entire life doing. He was the one who declared, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist is the one who said to Jesus, you have to be greater, I have to be less. John the Baptist is the one who said, I'm not even worthy to untie the shoes that Jesus is is wearing. And at the end of John's life, you can read this in Matthew and in Luke, John is in prison. And things have not gone the way that John would have expected or would have hoped. And he was feeling swallowed up in grief. You can imagine how he might have been feeling in prison. And John the Baptist sent word to Jesus. And what he said was, are you the one or should we expect somebody else? John the Baptist, who recognized who Jesus was before he was even born, who spent decades, his entire life, his whole ministry was spent preparing the way for Jesus, working for the kingdom, loving Jesus. At the end, when things weren't going the way that he had hoped, the way that he had anticipated, the way that he had longed for it, he said, did I get this whole thing wrong? And if you are here today and you have spent your life loving Jesus and working for Jesus and serving in the church and doing all this stuff, and now you find yourself in a place that was not what you thought, things haven't gone the way that you anticipated that they were going, I just want to tell you, you don't have to pretend to feel something you aren't feeling, right? John the Baptist, after he asked that question, Jesus's response about him said that, he, that there had been no one born who was more faithful than John the Baptist. No one greater had ever been born of woman than John the Baptist. That's what he said right after he asked that question, are you the one? And then what Jesus did, his response was not to chastise. He didn't say, what do you mean, who am I? What kind of, what kind of leader are you, right? No, that's not what he said. He sent word back and he said, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the good news have the, and the poor have the good news preached to them. 
What Jesus did when John was in this place was he reoriented him to hope. He reminded him of the story that he had been writing and of John's place in that greater story. And so here is John swirling around and confused and saying, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what I even think about this. And Jesus is reorienting him to hope right in the middle of his sorrow. I am absolutely convinced that God does not want us to pretend that we feel hopeful when what we are actually feeling is confused or overwhelmed or full of sorrow. I am sure that God wants us to come to him with our honest cries and our honest questions and to say, what's happening? And to allow him by the power of the Holy Spirit to reorient us to hope, to remind us of who he is and what he is doing in the world today. I think that this is such an important thing for us because you might be here today and you might think, you know, I have more questions than I have answers. I have more doubt than I have hope, right? I don't know if I have enough faith. And I just want to remind you, you don't, you don't need a lot. The Bible says all we need is a mustard seed, right? It's okay to come and you don't have to pretend to have hope or to feel hope because our confidence in hope is not based on how sure we are about it. The sureness of who Jesus is and what he has done is not based on us. It's based on him. And so when we come to Jesus, we can be sure that he is going to reorient us to hope. So not only do you not have to pretend that you're feeling hopeful, the third thing I want to remind us all and think about with hope is that you don't have to manufacture hope. You don't have to come up with optimism. You don't have to come up with hopefulness, right? You and I are not in the hope-producing business. God is in the hope-producing business. He is the one who comes up with the hope. He is the one who came up with the plan of salvation. He is the one who sent Jesus. He is the one who comes up and stirs up hope within us. I read a lot of um, Advent devotionals this year. So Advent is the time in the calendar that builds up to Christmas. And so I signed up for a lot of devotionals. And so I was getting them in the mail, and I was getting them in email, and I was getting audio ones, and I was listening to them. And some of them were quite nice. But a lot of them, they were just lousy. And I was like, who is writing these things? Like, this is terrible advice. Because a lot of them were writing things like, you know, you might be feeling like this is a hard season, but just hold on to hope. Just try a little harder. Feel some hope. And I thought, What kind of hard advice is that to write in an Advent devotional? Because I'm just telling you that when the doctor calls you with bad news, or when your mom is admitted to hospice, or when your resume is passed over again, or when your kids can't make it home for Christmas, or when the bills are more than the paycheck, it's not helpful to tell somebody, just hope a little harder, right? Just come up with something hopeful in your heart and hold on to that, right? That doesn't do any good. That's not what Jesus did to John the Baptist. That's not what Paul did when he was writing to the church in Rome. He wasn't telling them to come up with hope. He was pointing them to the God of hope. He said, may the God of hope. Our God is characterized by hope. He was reminding them and reorienting them to who God is. He said that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can abound in hope. 
It's not by us. He says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. He's not mocking them. He's not making light of their troubles. He's not patting them on the head or patronizing them. He is stirring something up within them and reminding them that it is the Holy Spirit of God who lives within them that stirs up this hope and causes them to abound in hope. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is a confident assurance that God is at work. Hope believes that God is not done. Hope believes that the feelings that we have right now are not the feelings that we are always going to have. Hope believes that Jesus already broke into the world one time and that he's going to come in again. Hope believes that God is not done working in us. So no matter what's going on or what troubles we face or what threatens to envelop us in our emotions, whatever good or bad comes, hope says that Jesus is sure and we can have confidence in the work that he is doing in the world and we can have confidence in the work that he is doing in us. Paul reminded them of the root of Jesse. He reminded them that Jesus had shown up and that the Messiah was the hope of the Jews and of the Gentiles. He reminded them that he was their hope no matter what was going on, what disagreements they were having, those who were suffering and those who were thriving. His, his um, orientation was to point them to Jesus and to say, our hope is sure. We are not the ones who have to come up with hope. And so I want to remind all of us today, just like Paul was reminding those Christians who were living in Rome at the time, that it is the God of hope that fills us with joy and peace. And it is not us and how much good feeling we can muster within ourselves. It is the work of the Holy Spirit who lives within us that causes hope to abound in us. All we do is believe. We follow Jesus the best way we can. We just, we, we listen to the stories and we come with what faith and what questions we have. And we ask Jesus our questions and we say, I'm following you. And then we can have confidence in our God of hope, knowing that he who began a good work in us is not finished. Jesus really did come. He really is who he said he is. He really did break history in two. He really has come to redeem us and save us. Hope has come. And we know that the world is broken And we know that the world is trying to beat us down. We have an enemy of our souls who would love to destroy us, who would love to see us hurting and broken. But I am telling you today that we can have hope, not just wishful thinking, but a confident expectation in who Jesus is and what he did when he came at Christmas and in the work that he is doing in our lives. So in these in-between days, after Christmas and before New Year's, and as we're planning for 2020, right, I just want to tell you that even if you feel adrift, your anchor will hold. Even if you aren't sure what 2020 will bring, our confidence is sure because of who Jesus is. And I want to close today by reading this verse over us as a prayer for us in the same way that Paul did for the people who were living in Rome, that this would be true of us today as well. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you and fill me and fill all of us with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may abound 
in hope. Amen.